This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 275, Toolbox Episode, The Rare Commodity of Thinking and How to Do It. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode, and welcome to our recurring series on tools that you need in your finances to get your finances on track. We've talked in episodes past about things like the sunk cost fallacy, opportunity cost, budgeting tools, and more. I want to discuss with you today something that might be central and actually the most powerful financial tool that you own, your own mind, and specifically how you think. Now, this is going to be one of the most practical episodes we've done in a long time. What are the actual steps of thinking? Now, before you skip this episode, because maybe you believe that your thinking is just fine, ask yourself, do you have a real process for your actual deep thoughts? Thinking, real thinking specifically, is exceedingly rare in our day and age. Most of us are just, oftentimes, we're regurgitating other people's thoughts over and over and over again. In fact, most studies say that we have about 60,000 thoughts a day, and 95% of those are the same ones we had yesterday. But one of the most important things that Nelson Nash, the founder of the infinite banking concept, brought to the forefront was the problem and danger of something known as the arrival syndrome. As Nelson Nash would say, nobody should get caught with this worst virus of all, the arrival syndrome. It's when you get hit with this terrible disease, we stop thinking, we stop growing, and we just simply rot. In fact, he says, and I quote, This phenomenon of the arrival syndrome has probably limited the achievement of mankind more than anything else. When this arrival syndrome infects us, we stop growing, we stop learning, and we rot. We turn off, we tune out the ability to receive inspiration because we, for example, we say, we all, we already know it all. We already know all there is to know. What a disastrous way to live your life. What I hope to do today is to encourage you and quite candidly myself in reverse engineering what it takes to truly think, to get us asking questions that will help us all build a better financial future. Now, one of the most important things you can do in continuing to build a bigger future is to incorporate the skill set of thinking time. Now, this is a skill set that was introduced to me as I recently read the book, The Road Less Stupid by Keith Cunningham. Now, what a great title for a book, right? It's a fairly straightforward, but honestly very counterintuitive way to enjoy a more fruitful and successful life. It works in your marriage, your personal life, your business, your professional life, anything, really any area of your life that you're hoping to see improvement on. If you want to avoid the arrival syndrome that Nelson Nash was so keenly warning us about, you have to stop and think. Now, the bad news is that very few people think. Thinking is, candidly, a very rare commodity in our world today. Woods Hutchinson, MD, he was quoted in the Saturday Evening Post saying, 5% of people think. 10% of people think that they think while 85% would rather lie down and die than think. 
So that's the bad news, that thinking is much more rare than we realize. We do a lot less of it than we think we do. The good news is, if you incorporate thinking into your life, this simple skill of thinking can help you overcome the arrival syndrome, and it can improve your life and your important relationships, your financial life, your future, virtually everything. Now, when people find out that I'm a certified financial planner, the conversation quickly turns to which stocks they should purchase to get that sweet, juicy rate of return that everyone's looking for. They're looking at their financial life in the wrong way. Here's the proof. How much money would you have in your hands right now if I gave you somehow the ability to unwind three financial decisions, the worst three financial decisions that you've ever made? Go ahead and write down that number. How much money would you actually still have had you not made those three terrible financial decisions? Here's my startling yet obvious conclusion. It turns out that the key to getting rich and staying that way has more to do with avoiding stupid things than it does about getting after the very best investments. I don't need to do more smart things. I just need to do fewer dumb things. I need to avoid making emotional decisions, swinging at bad pitches, and therefore I need to stop and think. Warren Buffett said it best. He said, quote, I insist on a lot of time to be spent thinking. Almost every day, just to sit and think. That is very uncommon in American business. I read and think. So I do more reading and thinking and make fewer impulse decisions than most people in business. I do it because I like this kind of life, end quote. So what is the skill set that Keith Cunningham, in his book, The Road Less Stupid, is describing? When he's talking about thinking time, what does that actually mean? It's really not all that complex. It's 30 to 45 minutes of uninterrupted concentration centered around a high-value question. Now that description right there cancels out virtually all of what I generally consider as thinking. Most of my, quote, Thinking is actually just pain avoidance, if I really am honest with myself. While I'm doing the dishes, I might think about how I need to pay that upcoming tax bill, for example, before snapping over to thinking about how bad the Chicago Bears are playing this year. And on and on it goes. There's no uninterrupted, thoughtful thinking going on. As I said, it's mostly just pain avoidance. I'm trying to avoid the pain of dealing with the real financial problems of my life rather than focusing more on, say, the symptoms. Keith Cunningham says that there are five important disciplines required in thinking time as he describes it. There's number one, find the unasked question, creating a question that will result in clarity and better choices. Step two, separate the problem from the symptom. Really learn to identify the real obstacle that's blocking your progress. Core discipline number three is to check your assumptions. You have to differentiate between true facts from the story you're telling yourself, the story you're spinning. Core discipline number four, consider the second order consequences. Really, you have to learn to clarify the risks and the possibility and the cost of being wrong. And then finally, create the machine. Create the executable plan and identify the resources, you know, the people, the money, whatever, required to solve the real problem and make actual progress toward a solution. I want to spend the rest of this episode digging into each of these five core disciplines. Maybe we can all become just a little bit better at thinking, and thinking is something the world, I believe, is sorely in need of today. Imagine if our world leaders did more time thinking and had less time to be reactive, emotional, 
Could we avoid maybe some wars, some recessions? You betcha. But it starts with you and me. It starts with us. How many arguments could we avoid with our spouse? How much would it improve our BMI or our, our waistline? How might it improve our financial life? Could it even maybe add some zeros to your net worth? Just thinking, adding some zeros to your net worth. Let's find out. So again, core discipline number one is to find the unasked question. That's discipline number one, find the unasked question. When we get stuck, we tend to think that the reason is because we don't have the right answer. The right answer, guys, is rarely the real problem. What keeps us really stuck are the inferior questions that are producing unattractive and tactical solutions. Sadly, the right question to our problem is never even asked because we're rushing to a solution to the wrong problem. Peter Drucker said, most serious mistakes are not being made due to wrong answers. The truly dangerous thing is asking the wrong question, end quote. Our goal with discipline number one is to find that unasked question. The first thing to do as you sit down in your thinking time is to observe the statements that you're making to yourself. Statements. Statements are seen as facts to your brain, to your mind. Questions, on the other hand, make your brain start working on a solution. A statement might be something like, I am poor. That provides no insight onto your how to remedy the situation. In fact, it reinforces that belief, hey, I'm poor, reinforces that belief within you. A good step in the right direction might be to ask it as a question. For example, why am I poor? That's at least a start. However, that particular question is really, I think, a rough draft. Still, it's the wrong question, I believe, because in part, it assumes poverty is a fact. And the word why oftentimes can bring judgment. Why are you poor? Boy, that feels like a judging way to think of yourself, right? Instead, maybe have your question in core discipline number one, have your question start with the word how. That could begin to create possible choices and solutions for you. A framework I like to start with in this core discipline number one is to frame the question this way. How might I dot 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 so I can dot dot dot. For example, how might I generate an additional $20,000 a month in profits so I can afford to invest in a new building and double my capacity? That's a lot better than saying to yourself, man, my profits suck. Or why do our profits suck? I also think about how did it get this way? Why does it stay this way? How can I improve the way my current situation looks? Finding the unasked question in core discipline number one is a different way to think about our problems. We want to think about what needs to be broken rather than what needs to be fixed. That's the key to core discipline number one. What needs to be broken, not so much what needs to be fixed. A common mistake that we make in our life is to assume that the problem we're experiencing is a situation that needs to be repaired. Some sort of problem out there, the flat tire, right? When the pain we are experiencing is often just a symptom of a deeper problem that we've not yet identified. We're going to talk more about that in core discipline number two. A great question always has three common characteristics. Number one, it provides insight into the actual problem that needs to be addressed. Number two, it simplifies the problem and even makes it solvable. And number three, it expands the number of possibilities available to solve the problem or improve the situation. So your role as a thinker 
is to get clarity on the right question to ask before you begin acting on a solution. We would all make fewer dumb choices if we invested just a little bit of time at the beginning to design that perfect question and then went in search of the solutions to those great questions. In your financial life, don't let other people do your thinking for you. I talked a lot on this topic on episode 122 called Your Last Money Guru. So go back and listen to episode 122 because when you outsource your financial thinking, you're at risk of creating an environment where other people are benefiting off of your back. Investment gurus taking fees off your portfolio, putting you into real estate projects that you have no business investing in, listening to your nephew talk about the coolest cryptocurrency you should put your retirement savings into, and on and on and on. When we don't think, we will pay the dreaded dumb tax. That's right, the dumb tax. The dumb tax is when we pay money that we shouldn't be paying for mistakes that we make in our financial life. It might be the purchase that we should have never made, the jalopy of a vehicle we bought, the McMansion that we simply cannot afford, the college degree in underwater basket weaving. How many of these financial mistakes could we be avoiding if we were just asking ourselves the right question first? So that's core discipline number one, ask the unasked question. Core discipline number two is to separate the problem from the symptom. The second core discipline in thinking time is to separate the problem from the symptom. So take just a moment to think about maybe the top two or three biggest problems that you're currently facing in your life. It could be financial related or otherwise. I'm sure that you'll have no trouble coming up with at least two or three big problems. Maybe it's not enough income, not enough liquid cash and savings, too much debt, issues with friendships, issues in your marriage, health related issues, whatever it might be. Although each of these situations are definitely painful, not one of those examples I just listed was truly the real problem. But we could spend our entire lives trying to fix these, quote, problems, and yet remain frustrated by finding any good solutions or better choices. All of the examples I just gave are actually only symptoms of real problems. But if we were to consider, quote, not enough income as a real problem, or that we don't have enough retirement funds as a real problem, it's going to lead to a burst of activity that runs us in the wrong direction and won't solve our problem, our real problem. We'll pick and choose new meme stocks, hoping they'll be high flyers that will lead us to the promised land of a juicy retirement, but ultimately they'll become another sabotage of our success as they come crashing down. I call this adventures in missing the point or running enthusiastically in the wrong direction. Now, I've personally done this plenty in my own life. When we focus on the symptom, we come up with tactical solutions. If we want to lose weight, for example, the pain we feel is what it feels like, the shame or whatever it feels like to get squeezed into our pants every morning. And so we think the solution to our pain is buying a treadmill or a Peloton or whatever and 15 other workout machines. Meanwhile, we're stuffing muffins into our mouth 17 times a day. The root problem is not the symptom of our larger waistline. We see where we are, larger waistline, and where we want to be, a fit, trim person, and we have extreme clarity on what we would like to look like. We've all done that visualization. We've all made those goals, right, as far as the New Year's resolutions and more. 
and we know the gap between where we are and where we want to be, but that gap is often the symptom. It's the symptom, not the root problem. The waistline is not my problem. Imagine two lines, one horizontal line and the other line angled at 45 degrees up and to the right. Both of these lines begin in the bottom left corner, starting at the same point, but one line remains flat along the horizontal axis. This is point A, where we're living today, the person that you currently are. While the other line that goes up and to the right is where you want to be, what you hope to be. That horizontal is line is where you are now. But your current BMI, your current net worth, your current relationship to your kids, whatever it might be, and it leads you to what you're currently experiencing, the pain that you're currently experiencing. The second line, that up and to the right line, is where you want to be, where you can visualize your life going. In your life, the gap between those two lines is where we tend to focus all of our energy in solving our problems. But they're really not the problem. That gap is not the problem. That's simply the symptom, the wedge of the real problem. I don't need another treadmill to hang my laundry on in my house. I need to focus on those muffins. That's the root problem. Switching between the horizontal is line and the diagonal want to be line, I need to be more strategic rather than just tactical. I don't just need another treadmill. I need to ask the right question to separate the symptom from the problem. If you want some good ways to do this, start with these three questions. Number one, what are the possible reasons I'm noticing this symptom? Number two, what is not happening that if it did happen would cause the perceived gap, the symptoms, to either narrow or disappear? And number three, what is happening that if it stopped happening would cause the perceived gap, symptoms, to narrow or disappear? The solutions that we create and build should always help us overcome the obstacle that's blocking our forward progress and momentum. Not just alleviate the pain of the symptom. You gotta find the drip and you gotta fix the leak. Remember, all those treadmills and elliptical trainers all were merely solutions for a problem that didn't even exist. The symptom was I weighed too much. The real problem was my lack of discipline, consistent diet, avoiding those muffins, and consistent exercise. Exercise trainers say it best. They say, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. No amount of treadmills will help me fight off the muffins. Very smart. So separating the problem that is from the symptom that we see is not an easy task. It often requires a lot of peer input, the mastermind. It requires brutal honesty and penetrating questions. Frankly, the process of problem identification is the most difficult part of thinking time and the thinking time process. Core discipline number three is to check your assumptions. Now, all good ideas that turned out bad had one thing in common, unexamined assumptions, which usually take the form of a really great lie to yourself, a story to yourself. Thinking time gives us an opportunity to test the validity of the assumptions that I am making or the story I'm telling myself. So the key to checking your own assumptions is to look for where I've been substituting my opinions for real facts. One of the best thinking time questions at this stage is the words, what don't I see? Put this on your wall. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Keep it where you can see it when you're going through your thinking time. It's a powerful question because what you don't see, oftentimes it'll cause you pain and cost you money. If we could only see that the real estate syndication deal we want to get into is going to blow up in our face, 
or that that 401k that we're pumping a ton of money in now is going to end up taxing us to smithereens in our retirement? If we just checked our assumptions, maybe we could avoid those problems. What none of us see are the assumptions that we make about the problem we have, the solution that we create, or the opportunity in front of us. The reality is that virtually all my dumb tax could have been avoided if I had just questioned a couple of obvious assumptions prior to pulling the trigger. We would all be better off if we spent some quality time thinking and differentiating between the facts from our emotions and our fantasies. Core discipline number four, don't forget to consider those second order consequences. There's nothing wrong with eating Twinkies for breakfast every morning or investing in your nephew's new product company, selling doorless microwaves, if you've thought through those second-order consequences. Keith, in his book, uses the following three questions, which he calls the power of three, and it can be used as a litmus test to help you think before you act. Question number one, what is the upside? We're usually experts at picking out the upside of an opportunity. Question two, what's the downside? What could go wrong? We rarely can do this one by ourselves, which is why it's so important to have a good coach or mastermind. We're oftentimes irrationally emotional and optimistic about the thing we're deciding about. And question three, can I live with the downside? Only the pros bother to even ask this question and examine it. So unexamined second-order consequences is simply another way of asking you to consider the possibility of being wrong. Now, I want to tell you a very fun, interesting story. In their rule of colonial India, the British failed to consider second-order consequences or the possibility of being wrong in their snake eradication debacle. Being new to the area, the British were deathly afraid of the large number of venomous king cobras in New Delhi. So they offered a generous bounty for all the dead king cobras that could be collected. The bounty system was a fantastic success with large numbers of dead king cobras being turned in for the financial reward. As the available pool of snakes dwindled and the bounties became more difficult to collect, some entrepreneurial Indians realized they could breed these snakes in captivity and thus continue to receive the bounty. Soon, a large cottage industry of snake farming sprang to life. And when the British became aware of this scheme, they immediately scrapped the bounty program. Naturally, the cobra farmers now had no use for the thousands of poisonous snakes that they were raising, so they released these king cobras back into the wild. The second order consequence? Of course, the number of king cobras in New Delhi were twice as large as it was before this, quote, good idea was hatched. Now, we only have a choice about the decision we're about to make, not the consequences. An important decision that does not identify the possible risks as well as the possibility of costs of failure is a decision with a high likelihood of creating a ton of drama. So the problem with drama is that it always costs us money. Risks don't cease to exist just because we bury our heads in the sand and neither do facts. An honest assessment of what could go wrong, the probability of it going off the rails, the cost of the event of failure are fundamental to minimizing your dumb tax. So that's core discipline four examine the unintended consequences. Core discipline number five is to create the machine. Now guys, thinking time helps us get clarity on the core problem. Clarity about the desired outcome and the obstacles preventing the achievement of this outcome are critical. But a description of the destination 
is not a substitute for the roadmap. You have to get out there and try things out. In other words, a good idea that cannot be executed is just a bad idea. Ultimately, the problem gets addressed or even solved as a result of the machine, as Keith calls it, that will move us from point A, where I am, up to point B, which is where I want to go. The expectation is that the new machine will produce an output, some sort of change that will improve your situation. It'll close the gap and it'll move us closer to our desired outcome, whatever that might be. Losing some weight, being more friendly to new strangers. So building an effective machine or adapting our current machine implies actual activity. That actual activity will be different from what we're currently doing. We have to actually change the train tracks, try something new. Maybe you've discovered a new option that will help you overcome your problem with a new strategy. Take, for example, the symptom of a lack of retirement savings. You feel the pain of a low 401k balance. Maybe you're scared about retirement. And you've tried the tactical changes to address the symptom by picking riskier and riskier stocks or index funds in your 401k to try to squeeze a little bit more rate of return out of your financial portfolio. But during your thinking time, you realize that the real problem is your inability to save due to your greasy cheeseburger habit and your propensity to purchase $100,000 sports cars every two years. So this new machine will require increasing your savings rate, not chasing a rate of return. Regardless of the change, we have to shift our priorities and take action if that new solution has a shot of being effective and making us a better version of ourselves. Changes in our priorities are always going to be accompanied by changes in the allocation of our resources, our time, our energy, our attention. So when dealing with problems that you're facing in your financial life, it's going to require a change in the approach to money. For example, rather than just diversifying your portfolio and spreading your eggs into 12 different baskets, a beneficial thinking time session might help you discover that all of your egg baskets are on the same truck. And that truck could very easily drive right off a cliff. Better to pull that truck over and put some of your eggs in a totally different truck, a totally different vehicle. Something that isn't tied to the stock market at all, but is non-correlated that can build wealth even when markets are crashing, uh, like they are this year. Just think of how valuable a 30 to 45 minute thinking time session would be for you in that example. Imagine the rate of return, the return on investment of the time spent just to think about where that money should live. If it saves you from losing $100,000 in a market crash, that half an hour you spent truly thinking about what you want and where your money needs to live would have an incredible value. It's so weird to me that we just think that tumbling off market cliffs is just normal. And then we just dust ourselves off and do it all over again. So those are the four core disciplines of thinking time. Let's do some quick takeaways as we wrap up our episode. Number one, thinking is a rare commodity in our day and age. But you can use the skill of thinking to your advantage, not only to avoid the dumb tax of life, but to take advantage of credible opportunities as they make themselves available to you. You can avoid putting just mere band-aids over your symptoms, really getting to the root problems and taking decisive and effective action. Number two takeaway. Probably the hardest part for me in establishing this discipline of thinking time was to just simply put it on my calendar. I went for months thinking to myself, oh yeah, I'll get around to that, this thinking time thing. 
but it wasn't until I added it to my calendar that I began following this essential discipline in my life. And I've used it now to help me approach my marriage in a fresh way, fix issues in my health, in my important relationships, make decisions for my business and my financial life too. What could it help you do? What could thinking help you do? If you're like me, it won't happen unless it's literally on your calendar. So grab 45 minutes, even just every other week, just to sit down by yourself and think. Third takeaway, if you want my template that I use in my own thinking time, reach out to me. If you are a client and you have my private email address, just reach out that way. If you're not a client, go to nyafinancialpodcast.com and click on Request a Meeting. And in just 15 minutes, we can have an introductory strategy session over the phone. I can help you begin to think differently about your money, your economy, your future. When scheduling that appointment, be sure to write the words thinking time in the agenda so I know what you want to discuss. Fourth and final takeaway, don't listen to financial advisors who want to do your thinking for you. No matter how bad the world gets, we still have control over our own thoughts unless we give them away to others. The world wants your attention. They want your thoughts more desperately now than ever before. Don't let them take these thoughts away from you. Enjoy the discipline of thinking time. It's very rewarding. So that's everything for this week's episode. And I want to thank you all for helping me think different. And I'm glad to be a part of that with you too. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you and all of us think differently with our money and our economy and our future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.